You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following podcast is a production of the Factual Data Creations Facility. Hello and welcome to another episode of the OFNT Podcast. Well, it's episode 156, which I'm calling Paying for Convenience. Hey, I'm sorry I'm late with this episode. I had a lot of things that needed my attention last week. Tech News. The grandchild scam has upped its game by using artificial intelligence-powered voice cloning. Now, if you don't know what the grandchild scam is, here's a brief description of it for you. Elderly folk are targeted by looking up public records which disclose landline phone numbers, addresses, and ages of the owners. If possible, the scammers will try and identify the name of the target's grandchildren. A call is then placed to the target claiming that it's their grandchild, almost always the grandson, and that they are in jail and need cash to get out. If the target agrees to pay some money, someone will come to pick it up. My late mother was the target of one of these scams, but was aware enough at that time to know the scam for what it was. Sometimes these scammers will have the victims send money to them via services like Western Union or Venmo, for example. Lately, these criminals have begun better targeting by positively identifying a grandchild of the intended victim, somehow obtaining a voice sample of the grandchild, and cloning the voice using a service such as Eleven Labs app Voice Lab. Now, how do these people get a voice sample of the victim's grandchild? Well, I can think of one way. Say the grandchild has a podcast. All you would have to do is download an episode of that podcast and feed it into the Voice Lab app. Once cloned, you write a script and voila, you can make a call which sounds just like the victim's actual grandchild. Even audio samples from social media platforms could be used. Now, Eleven Labs has deleted its free service level in order to stop the company's app from being used for such a nefarious reason. But with the money that can be made from this scam, 
What's to stop these criminals from just subscribing for the paltry $5 per month? If you're lucky enough to have elderly parents or grandparents around, I'd recommend warning them of this. Better yet, establish a code word that only you and them know that would positively identify you to them when asked. The tech industry continues laying off workers as the economy continues to be weak. Come on, man. Facebook, also known as Meta, has announced a layoff of another 13% of its workforce. This follows the layoff of the same percentage of workers late in 2022. Meta stated that, unfortunately, there are more layoffs to come. You're fired. Satellite radio company Sirius XM announced a layoff of 475 workers, which amounts to 8% of the company's total workforce. And tech site CNET is set to lay off 10% of its staff. CNET was recently in the news for using artificial intelligence to generate articles, though the company denies this technology has anything to do with the layoffs. Yeah, right. The country of Holland has joined the United States and other European countries in restricting the export of machinery used to manufacture microchips used in a bevy of tech products, which includes military hardware, to the People's Republic of China. When the U.S. first moved to restrict these machines a while back, it was met with a kind of a lukewarm reception from Europe. Well, China's behind-the-scenes support of Russia with its war in Ukraine has seems to have changed minds. That and the behavior of the Communist Party of China since joining the world stage is starting to convince the world that it's a bad actor. A quote from an old song applies here. Money changes everything. Continuing with the Communist Party of China, their data-sucking app, TikTok, is facing even more calls from a bipartisan coalition of U.S. politicians who are calling for its banning. This comes as more whistleblowers step forward who say that the Chinese company which owns the app, ByteDance, and therefore the Communist government, have unrestricted access to the data from users in the United States. In fact, a bill was passed giving President Biden the power to ban TikTok, as well as other apps deemed to be a national security threat. When presented to him, President Biden vetoed the legislation, though. Well, I can see a reason for this. This authority could be badly abused in the future. While I'm all in for the banning of TikTok, I and others have a different reason than most people do. TikTok is so popular that it's sucking the majority of advertising dollars from U.S.-based competitors like Facebook and Google, which, of course, is affecting their bottom line. Can't have that. Now, these companies do the same data vacuuming that TikTok does, but the data supposedly stays in this country, well, as far as anybody knows. I'm sure these tech giants, who are also making used contributions to these same politicians calling for the banning of TikTok, had their government lobbyists working overtime to pressure these politicians to call for this action. Now, I don't pretend to know the reason why the president vetoed the legislation, though. I would like to think it was done to prevent the misuse of this power, but being the cynic I am, he probably realized that the app is so popular that banning it might cost him votes in the next presidential election. Or maybe ByteDance shoveled a tidy sum of money towards his supposed 2024 re-election campaign. (laughs) Do you use TikTok? And would you agree with it being banned? No. Hey, do you really like the color yellow? 
especially banana yellow? Have you always wanted to rock a cellular phone in that color? Have you always wanted to own an iPhone in that particular shade? Well, the big fruit company has heard your pleas. Apple has announced the iPhone 14 and 14 Plus are now available for purchase in yellow. The new yellow iPhone's internals are exactly the same as the other colors in the iPhone 14 and 14 Plus lineup. I guess this is just a way to generate more revenue in between updates as the new iPhone 15 release is slated for this coming September. And just maybe after you pick up your new banana yellow iPhone, you'll be tempted to check out Apple's new classical music app. No. Which is coming on March 28th. Sorry, it's been a slow tech Newsweek. <laughs> Besides brightly colored phones and classical music apps, Apple is rumored to also be working on a new model HomePod that will feature a 7-inch video screen. What? I guess Apple is tired of being shut out of the home virtual assistant market and has finally decided to do something about it. The problem I see is with the virtual assistant itself, Siri. Compared to Amazon and Google, Siri is as dumb as a rock. When I feel like frustrating myself, I'll just ask Siri for the current weather via my HomePod minis. Now, either Siri will tell me that it can't complete the request, or it will tell me to look at my phone. Yeah, that's how dumb Apple's take on a virtual assistant is. Unless the company can step up its game, this product will only appeal to the diehard Apple fan. While I use and enjoy Apple products, I don't consider myself that dedicated to the company. The Big G Machine, better known as Google, is rumored to be releasing the company's first Pixel tablet this spring on or shortly following its annual Google I.O. Developers Conference, which is scheduled to be held on May 10th. The Pixel tablet was sort of previewed during Google's I.O. last year, but there has been too much leaked about it, which is unusual for them because just about every piece of hardware that Google produces is never a surprise. That's because all the details of it have been previously leaked. The company has in the past attempted to break into the tablet market with mixed results, the big complaint being that their offerings in this segment are often underpowered. Let's see if they can get it right this time. Currently, the only competitors to Apple's dominant iPad are the Samsung-manufactured Galaxy-branded models and Amazon's Fire tablets, which have a lock on the lower end of the market. I know I've purchased a boatload of Fire tablets over the years for my grandchildren. When my grandkids are old and responsible enough, I plan on getting them some model of an iPad with a keyboard case. It will be like their first serious computing machine. Are you looking forward to the Pixel tablet? If you use YouTube non-premium, this next story will be good news for you. The Google-owned streamer has announced that it's doing away with those annoying overlay-type advertisements. Those types of ads are the translucent ones that are put right smack dab on the content screen and are in my opinion, the most distracting kind of them all. Hopefully, YouTube won't make up for this by inserting even more pre, mid, or enroll advertisements into the videos you're watching. I've been paying for ad-free YouTube Premium for a while now, and I 
really feel it's worth the $11 per month subscription price. Yes, I know you can get an ad blocker to do away with those annoying commercials, but I do most of my YouTubing on my television using the Apple TV box, and as far as I'm aware, there's no such ad blocker for this setup. Anyway, I think that it's a good thing that the creator of the YouTube channels you watch get paid one way or another. Well, that will wrap up the tech news section, which has been sort of quiet lately. I remember when I first started this podcast... It seemed there were a lot more things happening in the world of technology. I remember having to edit out stories I deemed of less importance, lest the episode be Joe Rogan podcast length. As of late, my news feeds are being dominated by chat GPT stories and articles about how insecure and unstable Twitter is. Most of the hardware news is dominated by Apple. It used to be the opposite, where Android hardware and software were dominating. I guess you can say that we've reached parity between these two mobile operating systems. Tech I'm using. I don't have any new tech to speak of that I can report on this week. Because now I'm what's considered a pensioner these days. So my tech purchases will be fewer and further apart than in the past. I've been using my MacBook Pro a lot these days, but have noticed that my old fart eyes get more tired than when I'm using my 11-inch iPad Pro for word processing. I was under the impression that the screens on the laptops were of a higher quality or at least the same quality as those on the iPad Pros, but perhaps I was mistaken. You might advise me to just use the iPad Pro to do this task with its better keyboard, but I'm finding that using the iPad Pro exclusively feels cramped and I'm actually more productive on my MacBook Pro and MacBook Air. I could spring for a 12.9-inch iPad Pro, which features a mini-LED-lit screen, but for the cost of that, including the required, well, for me at least, magic keyboard attachment, it would cost upwards of $1,500, while a tricked-out MacBook Air would be around the same price with more storage and that cool midnight black color, albeit without the mini-LED screen. I think in the long run, I'd be better off with the Air than in the 12.9-inch iPad. My Apple TV 4K set-top box and HomePod minis have had a flurry of software updates recently, and while I haven't noticed anything better regarding the Apple TV box, I've noticed that the HomePods sound better than they used to. I've noticed this because, for some strange reason, some streaming apps don't seem to support the sort of speakers I use in tandem with the HomePods for my entertainment system sound. I don't know if this has something to do with the AirPlay protocol or not. The Sonos speakers, as well as the HomePods, are connected to the Apple TV box that way, so I can't understand why certain apps only play through the HomePods. YouTube used to have this problem, but now it works fine with the Sonos speakers. So I guess it's a software thing. Twitch is one of those apps, as I discovered while watching the Podcast Academy's Ambie Awards last week. I was forced to listen to the audio only through the HomePod minis, and it made me realize that these little speakers are actually providing the room-filling sound as Apple likes to advertise them as being capable of. My problem with them is that the mid and high audio is lacking compared to the IKEA Sonos speakers. They sound serviceable, but dull to my ears. One of these days, I might have the means for a proper audio setup, but for now, I'll just be using what I have. Entertainment news. 
Like tech news, there's not very much going on in Hollywood these days, and hey, that might be a good thing. I've been watching a lot of British movies lately. Movies like Accident Man and its follow-on in Knuckle Duster. It seems to me that Brit cinema, well, at least the movies I've been consuming, aren't trying to change the world, nor are they trying to relay or teach the audience some sort of lesson on how you should be thinking. These movies just set out to gasp, entertain. I mean, that's why the movie business is part of what's called the entertainment industry. This seems to be what Hollywood has forgotten. Now they'll bring over English directors to this country once in a while and their first outing will be great. But eventually, those same directors get corrupted and before you know it, their efforts are just more towing-the-line, agenda-driven garbage like that of their U.S.-born peers. It's no secret 2022 was the lowest-grossing, most sparsely attended year in decades for movies. Oh, sure, they'll blame streaming service and some will even still blame COVID for this disaster. But I'd like to think that deep down inside themselves, they realize that the real reason for this decline is because they are failing to entertain their audience. Wrapping up the entertainment section, as I've shared in previous episodes, I've been watching the television series Godfather of Harlem on the Epic's streaming service, which is now rebranded as MGM+. Besides being very entertaining, if not historically correct, I marveled at how the show's producers managed to get the details of those times right. The show takes place in the early to mid-1960s, and the producers have not only gotten the vehicles of the time correctly, but the small things like the type of public trash receptacles that were used and the style of the storefronts that were common in those times. And I would know this because though I was very young, I was around at this time. Yeah, I'm that old. Another thing the Godfather of Harlem gets right is the apartments, or actually the size of the apartments of those times. Compared to modern apartments, the apartments of that era were much larger. The lead character of the show lives in a luxury apartment, and the floor space of that is equivalent or larger than most modern middle-class homes. Even the lower-middle-class two-bedroom apartment I grew up in had a larger living room and had bigger bedrooms than the house I currently own. The only thing they kind of skimped on back then, as they do nowadays, is the kitchen space, which was small then, as it is in modern apartments. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, (laughs) I could really use Current. (laughs) I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Got some podcast news for you. Spotify has folded its free Anchor podcasting hosting service into the company's Spotify for Podcasters service with its premium hosting service, Megaphone, to be integrated in the near future. Spotify stated that this will bring its advanced analytics and services to all podcasters, regardless of what hosting service their show currently uses. This probably explains some of the layoffs Spotify recently made within the company's podcast division late last year. In my opinion, this consolidation makes sense, as the so-called podcasting business has been shrinking, just like the rest of the current economy. If you use Anchor as the hosting platform for your show, you'll have everything to gain by this move. Just last week, Spreaker, which built itself as a premium podcast hosting service, announced that it will be switching to the free ad-supported business model going forward. Seems like they got advanced word of Spotify's intentions. What this tells me is that the millions upon millions of dollars big media was throwing at celebrity-hosted podcasts and the acquisitions of independent production studios and shows has been a bust, with major losses of audience and capital incurred. Overall, I think this development is good for podcasting which hopefully will see the space return to what it was before all the money was thrown at it, which was independent production studios and independent shows, who hopefully will again have a fighting chance to be heard. Which brings me to the next item. The Podcast Academy, which was formed during the height of the big media spending flurry of a few years ago, held its third annual Ambie Award show on March 7th. Compared to last year's show, production values seem to have been scaled down a bit. It was streamed via Amazon's music channel on the Twitch Gamer streaming service live from Las Vegas, Nevada. This year's show moved along at a quicker pace than last year's, finishing in two hours compared to the three hours of last year's ceremony. Producer and comedian Larry Wilmore hosted the show versus the two, well, at least to me, unknown hosts of last year and did a much, much better job. It felt like a real, actual award-type program compared to the long, woke lecture that last year's Ambie Awards turned into. Oh, don't worry, though. There was plenty of wokeness for everyone at this year's Ambies, too. Glitches were held to a bare minimum, and dare I say, it was close to being enjoyable. And that is especially compared to last year's Cringe Fest. The largest problem I had with this year's Ambie Award ceremony was the nominated podcasts and winners of the categories themselves. I'd never heard of or had listened to most of the nominated and winning shows, and those I did recognize, I had no interest in. There were no shows like Joe Rogan, No Agenda, or the No Sleep podcast represented. I blame this on the way podcasts are nominated for an Ambie Award. To submit a podcast for consideration, you have to be a member of the Podcast Academy, which, of course, requires a yearly membership fee. And then you have to pay another fee, 
for each submission. Small independent shows aren't going to bother with this, and the dearth of big-name shows tells me that most of the big players have lost interest in this academy. I base this assumption on last year's nomination list. All the big popular shows were present. Heck, even this year's Ambi's major sponsor was a pretty obscure European audio equipment manufacturer with no apparent connection to podcasting. The award winners were mostly from the same political ilk, and some of the shows that did win didn't even fit the category they won in. The biggest takeaway for me was that I wished I had invested in the Shure Microphone Company because just about all the guests and no-show winners who were on video, which was quite a lot, were using Shure's SM7B microphone. I guess the thinking here is, if Joe Rogan uses the SM7B, I guess I should too. <laughs> I predict that the Podcast Academy and their annual Ambies Award show will continue to shrink or eventually cease to exist. If you want to take a gander at this year's Ambie Award show or the older ones, you can find the replay at www.podcastacademy.com. Uh, about those audio samples from the G-Brand micro recorder I promised I would have for you this episode. Well, I've been messing around with the thing all weekend and could not for the life of me get my elderly iMac to recognize the recorder as an external drive in order to transfer the files. That is, until I sat down to record this episode. So I'll save this for next week. Really, for sure this time. Trust me. <laughs> yourself in because it's story time. <sighs> this week's story is called My Tech Journey Through the Decades. <sighs> I see you're getting sleepy already. So I'll hurry up and get started. Though I was but a child throughout the 1960s, there was no cool tech things like the lucky later generations had access to. There were no video game consoles, smartphones, computers, or the internet. No, I had to be content with things like riding my bicycle, playing sports, and listening to the newfangled transistor radio I had received as a birthday gift. By the time the early 70s rolled around, stereo equipment and CB radios ruled the world of tech. I guess you can label citizen band radio as the internet of my generation. I used a Radio Shack Navajo set, complete with a Radio Shack-powered mic and an expensive antenna called a Starduster. Everything went great until a hurricane hit the area, which knocked down that antenna, which hit the electric power lines, which blocked out the entire block. My bad. After that disaster, I managed to save enough money to buy a used integrated tube amp, along with an original Sherwood radio tuner and turntable. I stole my father's Lloyd-branded speakers and I was set. That is, until I cranked up the music so loud one day that I blew those things out. Again. My bad. After getting out of military basic training, I rewarded myself with a, what was then new, battery-powered digital watch. 
All that thing did was tell time. You even had to push a button to activate the LED display to do so. Upon arriving at my first assignment in the UK, I bought myself a combination Marantz Pioneer Technic stereo setup, which lasted me for years. In the early 1980s, I arrived from my next duty assignment, which was in upstate New York, and I got into shortwave listening and then the first video game consoles. I had a Bali's arcade and a television. When the mid-80s rolled around, personal computing became a thing. I owned a Radio Shack TRS-80 Model 4, a Sanyo MBC 550, and finally, a leading-edge PC, which was a true IBM clone. And that was important. Look it up. In late 1985, I left the United States for a two-and-one-half-year stint in the Republic of Korea, which was followed by another two-and-one-half-year stint in the Philippines. Well, back then, those places hadn't gotten the PC revolution yet, so I got back in stereos, rocking a Kenwood setup with speakers I can't remember the brand name of. Upon returning to the United States in 1990, I was married with children and didn't have the financial means to afford any tech. The early 90s found me back in Korea, where I upgraded my stereo gear to Yamaha stuff and some really high-end speakers, which I still have. It wasn't until 1992 when I bought an AST-branded all-in-one computer that could actually play videos. The older computers couldn't accomplish that. Later on, I gave the AST computer to the kids and got myself an off-brand tower PC. Upon retirement from the military and getting a job with the then U.S. Customs Service, I purchased a home which almost bankrupted me. During that time, the only tech I remember getting is a Sony Wega tube television. The family used to marvel at the picture that set got. At the millennium, I purchased a cheap Dell laptop and my first cell phone. My first smartphone was a Windows phone from Samsung, which I hated. My first real smartphone was a Palm model, their cheapest one, but I kept that thing for three years. I forget the name of it now. I went through a bevy of Nokia phones, used Blackberries, and had an Android Nexus 1. When the new Windows phones came, I had and loved the Nokia 925. My tech world changed when my lovely wife gifted me an iPhone 4S for my birthday one year, whereupon I fell into the dreaded Apple ecosystem where I remain firmly today. This new mobile and computing tech is great, but ask yourself, has it really made the world a better place to live in? Or are we paying for the convenience this tech brings us with our happiness? The music is playing, which brings us to the end of episode 156, which I will miss. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I enjoyed making it for you. If you like what you heard, you can make a donation using the link in the show notes. Any and all donations will be appreciated. You can always reach me at OFNTpodcast at gmail.com if you're so inclined. I'd enjoy hearing from you. Remember, don't listen to what they say. Watch what they do. When you finished listening to this episode... Why don't you get off my lawn? Stay skeptical. I'm out. See ya.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.